The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is green and gold history. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. The A's are the world champions. This is A's Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. Time now for Green and Gold History here on A's Cast, and this one is very special. Because Steve Vucinich, when you think A's history, Oakland A's history, he is history with the A's. Steve Vucinich has been with the Oakland Athletics since they moved to Oakland in 1968. That's how long he's been with the organization. He has seen it all. From the late 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, 2000, and all the way to the date, anybody who's played with the A's has been in contact with the great Steve Vucinich, the equipment manager for your Oakland Athletics. And here's my conversation. It doesn't get any better than this when you're talking green and gold history. Steve Vucinich has been here since day one. And if you think of the Oakland Athletics and you think of all the great people who have worked for this organization, nobody better than Voos. He's an absolute legend, and he joins us here for a little green and gold history. How are you, Voos? I'm very fine. Thank you for having me. You're one of the toughest guys to corral. You know that? I mean, well, you're so busy. All you have to do is ask. I mean, I, I had to go through your agent, your daughter, to get you on today. Well, she does a good job for me. <laughs> she gets paid heavily. It's called free rent. You've been around since 1968. It's amazing to think how long you've been around this franchise as you grow you grew up in this franchise to where you are today. I did. I really did. I started when I was 15 and have been here ever since. I try to tell people 52 years I started when I was 2, but that's not true. <laughs> but uh, I've seen it all, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, Fortunately, it's most, been mostly good, and I've always said I'll work until the bad days outnumber the good days, and I'm not near that yet. So when you think about, you know, growing as a, a, as a young man, as a kid, into a young adult, into somebody, you know, married, and then kids, and, and now where you are now, just talk about just your life being here with the A's. You know, uh, starting at age 15, and haven't been a Giant fan all my life because this is the only team in town. Kansas City moves out of here, and they local. I'm born and raised in the Oakland Hills here, and I could also see the Coliseum from the house. So uh, there's a level of learning from ball players and just being not so much in awe of them, but appreciating them, the maturity they have, and that helped me grow up more and quickly. And I see that in my staff these days. I might take in a raw 18-year-old kid, and, you know, I remember one time one of the kid's mothers said, hey, thanks for having my son grow up into your guys. And, and it's been fun to watch kids that work for me come in and start at age 16, and now they're married with two and three kids, and uh, they've been loyal to me in the organization, and I like to think that a little bit of me rubs off on them, but uh, it's a tribute to them too. So I grew up, see, uh, the first player I admired the most was Rick Monday. And I saw how he handled the interviews. He never said, uh, during an interview. And I've kind of modeled myself after that. And, uh, and I just said, uh, twice. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he was mature, and he was also known as kind of a playboy around Oakland, hung out in Jack London Square. It was written in the society pages. So that kind of made him my idol, too. You know, yeah. he was coming into maturity as I was. 
So I got to see all those guys and the first uh, Oakland A's team had guys like Danny Cater, very mature, very professional. Guys all wore the uniforms alike. Uh, that was all part of being an Oakland A and all in baseball. And now we're transformed into colors and different things. And this weekend's a special players weekend. I'm watching guys wear three different hats out here, wearing their uniform different ways. But it's all the way they express themselves, and I think baseball needs that. You know, when, when I think about the early days, when they built the stadium in 1966, you watch it get built as a kid, and then the A's move here in 68. The Giants had been here since 1958. Now you're bringing American League Baseball to, to the East Bay and to the Bay Area. How important was it that that young core that came over from Kansas City and you start thinking about the guys that won the three World Series. How important was them to have that success early and to win? You know, when you start thinking going to the playoffs in 71 and then rolling off three straight World Series. You know what? It was a team that was maturing. A lot of those guys grew up together in the minor leagues. The Joe Rudy's, the uh, uh, Raleigh Fingers, Reggie Jackson, Sal Bandos, they all came up together. And that's why we always laughed about when we had fights. It was like two brothers fighting, and 10 minutes later, everything's fine because there weren't real fights, they were just noted that way. They grew up uh, in Kansas City in 67, before they had all the problems and it was noted that they were gonna move to Oakland. A lot of those riders saw this coming together with the call up of Reggie Jackson, Rick Mundy was already there, Catfish Hunter was coming into his own, Raleigh was in the horizon as was Rudy, Campaneris was already there. So they could see the foundation being built. And they come into Oakland and we were a 500 club right away, and they hadn't played 500 baseball in 13, 14 years in Kansas City. So you could see they were getting better. Um, the Bay Area was lucky because they could see both American and National League baseball. Uh, the first year was Mickey Mantle's last year. So the New York Yankees came here three times that year. That's how, that was before expansion, the second expansion. And... So fans got to see Mickey Mantle. Granted, it was his last year, and he wasn't playing much, and he wasn't that successful. But Mickey Mantle, I mean, yeah. that's, that's the idol of so many people. You look how many kids are 50 and 60 years old right now named Mickey. It's all because of him. <laughs> not, would... not Mickey Morabito. <laughs> oh, the great Mickey Morabito. You know, you know, the Yankees come to town, and, 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 I, and I think about – the, the pictures that you have in your office, and there's two pictures that really stand out to me. One that's phenomenal, the other is funny. One is Joe DiMaggio from his time here. You got to know Joe. I mean, speaking of national icons, Joe DiMaggio being on the A's staff. And then the other picture, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> well, they say uh, the two most recognizable faces around the world are both Colonel Sanders and Muhammad Ali. So I got my picture with one of them right up there because he's on lots of billboards and, and buildings around the world. But the Joe D one is real special because that's the only other big league uniform he has ever worn. He was a coach with us the first two years, 68 and 69. The players loved him. Uh, Joe is an icon, and, and some of those players had maybe seen or heard him play in, you know, way back when they were kids. So he came out, and he was just a class individual. You could see he exudes Hall of Fameness, uh, just everything he did. He, uh, he was better in those days than he was uh, later on in the autograph craze where he kind of got where he was charging for autographs. Yeah, things, uh, things definitely <coughs> changed once they were able to uh, start putting your name on a ball and making a lot of money or, or on a jersey. And did you know 
back then how good this team was going to be and really going to be one of the historic teams in the history of baseball. You know, only two organizations have rolled off three straight World Series. That's the Yankees and the Athletics. Well, you know, you knew they were going to be good, so we win the first World Series, and everybody thinks you can repeat, and it's tough to repeat. We repeated, and then we re- we hit the third year against the Dodgers. So you knew they were good, but did you know they were going to be that good? No. I don't think Charlie Finley – I mean, you always say they're good enough to win, but do they do it? Sometimes injuries big, play a big part of it. Sometimes another team in your division's played way over your head, and has uh, there was no wild card then, so it played better and, and captured the division title. So uh, we knew they were good. Could they be that good? Yes. Did you expect them to be that good? Probably not. Yeah, that's the great thing about having you on is you've been a part of, of every decade of – of this great franchise that's had so many ups and great moments. It had to be tough, though, to watch it be broken up because even as a young man, you, you had to realize, oh, boy, this is not good because these guys could have won even more World Series. Yeah, if the uh, contract problem with between Charlie Finley and Catfish Hunter, uh, we would have had a great chance of winning in 75. So he signs with the Yankees, and now we're scuffling for a right-handed pitcher. we still got Vida and Holtzman. And we make a trade. We bring in Sonny Siebert. We bring in Dick Bosman. We bring in Jim Perry, all these guys. But obviously nobody could fill Catfish's role. And he went on to win 20 for uh, a club in New York that wasn't even in first place. So you could see it then. And then the strike, there was a lockout in 76. And then they finally got the uh, got everybody back together in spring training and playing. And they're talking about free agency at the end of the year because everybody saw what Catfish got. And then the next year, Andy's Messersmith by playing out a so-called option. So he finally got that together, and you can see right then, Charlie Finley had no interest in paying long-term contracts and paying big money so he could see it coming to an end. And then here comes Billy Martin. What were the days like with Billy Martin? A lot of success, but there was also a tremendous amount of drama. Well, drama followed Billy, and I was right with Billy when a lot of this drama unfolded. <laughs> Some of it we could talk about, and a lot of it we can't, but... Uh, no, it was great because we had gone through post-77, 78, and 79 with the threat of this club moving to Denver in three of those years. And uh, it was a problem with buying out the Coliseum lease. Our lease was ironclad where the Raiders' lease was coming to an end. And uh, that's what really saved us, that the Raiders were threatened to leave, although they didn't leave for a couple more years. So in all this banner back and forth going to Denver, and actually one year we opened the season in Anaheim and Charlie Finley came in and said, don't rent an apartment in Oakland because the second homestand we might be playing in Denver. And God, have you ever seen, I mean, can you imagine a mid-season move? Oh, my God. I mean, lock, stock, and barrel, just pick up and move to another city 1,200 miles away. So <coughs> we, uh, we're, we're scuffling. We drew 305,000 in 1979. <laughs> The whole year, 305 or 310,000. Our biggest crowd was 16,000 on a Monday night half price with Boston. That was our biggest crowd of the year. So um, after the dramatics of not moving to Denver this one point because uh, it was illegal for them to buy out the lease on the A's, they found out through the city council. Anyway, so the idea was, well, Charlie had just been fired again by the Yankees. He had that incident with the marshmallow salesman in Minneapolis. And let's bring him back and see if we can instill some enthusiasm with the ball club, enthusiasm with the fans. And it worked. He had a good young club, a nucleus of a good young club. He had Ricky coming up for his first full year. 
Dwayne Murphy had been here a couple of years. Tony Armas, big home run hitter. And some good young players, some good young pitchers, Mike Norris. And uh, so Billy turned it around and saved the franchise. So popular in Berkeley and Oakland area that uh, uh, friends of his bought season tickets. And uh, it was really funny. And that got the Haas family to think about what a um, part of the Bay Area this Oakland franchise is. And, and so they got interested, and they were negotiated with Charlie, and there were some problems there. And they finally agreed to a purchase in August. And they came on board and wanted to right away sign up Billy long-term, a lot of season tickets. Excuse me. Um, and uh, Billy saved the franchise. He really did. And then you mentioned Ricky Henderson, this dynamic play. And uh, so I knew his stats coming up. He had a great year in Modesto and A-ball in the Cal League. So he comes to spring training in 79, and I give him number 35. He didn't have big camps in. He had maybe 40, 45 players. Give him number 35. Gets called up in June and, and starts stealing bases. And then next year, Billy Martin taught him so much about reading a pitcher, knowing the count, and he could take off. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's, it's all right. It's one of the things about uh, live radio. I mean, live uh, streaming, I should say. Anything can happen. And obviously, we're still in allergy season. But we have Steve Vucinich here for a little green and gold history. So, Ricky Henderson comes up. But then he ends up being traded away. And here comes the next group. Really one of the best teams to have ever been assembled. And you think about the greatness that was coming when you see Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire and Walt Weiss, and you got all these rookies of the year coming up. And I know Tony Russo's talked about it. We talked about it with Jose Canseco, only winning one championship, and we're going to honor that team tomorrow, 1989. But they went to three straight World Series. When you look at that collection of ball players, and Ricky Henderson would come back and help win the World Series. When I was in high school, you know, when you're in high school, you know, you gravitate to the best. And the A's were the best. And everybody, you know, they were rock stars. You know, here's Conseco's coming out of Madonna's apartment. I mean, these guys were big time. They were making the most money in Major League Baseball, which I know is hard for young athletic fans to realize. But this was the biggest payroll in baseball. What was that team like? And what was it like winning the World Series again? You know, that that club was a lot like the championship years of 72-3-4. It was mostly homegrown. Those guys had played together in the minor leagues. Canseco, Steinbeck, uh, Stu came in as a free agent, solidified our pitching staff. Carney was already here. He solidified the lineup. Um, so we had some great young players. Walt Weiss came in three years in a row, rookie of the year, and uh, some complimented some other pieces in there uh, through those championship years, and those were great clubs. We should have won more than one. We got stunned in L.A., and uh, we should have beat Cincinnati. We had, we had a better club than, than both those teams, but things happen. It's not who has the best club, but who plays the best. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, unfortunately for the steroid era, certain guys are not going to get in the Hall of Fame. But in my opinion, having covered this game and, you know, having dealt with Jose for years now and knowing that, you know, most of the players in the game were on something, that these guys like Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco should be joining Dennis Eckersley 
and also the great Ricky Henderson in the Baseball Hall of Fame. But that would only last so long as the club would end up being broken up. Ricky would leave. Uh, Jose would be traded away. Mark McGuire would be traded away. And then you have kind of the passing of the torch. Sandy Alderson, just a phenomenal executive, now hands it over to some young guy who was a first-round pick for the Mets and not a lot of people knew about. He was around in 1989. He got a ring, but you don't really think about him as being a great baseball player. But now he's probably someone that's going to end up in the Baseball Hall of Fame for what he's done in baseball and really changed baseball. Here comes Billy Bean. As Billy Bean now, as the franchise is struggling once again, and attendance is struggling, and everything's struggling, right? The Haas family is gone. Schott and Hoffman are now running the ball club. They're now the owners. What was it like now Billy Bean taking over the franchise, and you'd start to see the change for the good again? Well, I thought it was really good for Steve Usenich because I knew him when he played for both Minnesota and Detroit. And we had become friendly and talked about concerts. I actually got him some concert tickets here one time. And uh, Billy, you could tell, was uh, And it wasn't just the so-called going to Stanford pedigree, but you could tell he was smarter. Uh, he played with us in 89, and then uh, he became an advanced scout. And uh, Billy had ideas, and a lot of them were really just a continuation of Sandy Alderson's, the on-base percentage, and and reviewing stats and finding some hidden gems. And uh, he, Billy was thrust in that position where he had to find those hidden gems because we didn't have the payroll to match the East Coast teams and all the rich teams. Uh, so Billy comes in. He's got his ideas. The money ball thing with the meeting with the scouts at the beginning was kind of a farce, but it made for a good picture. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like a guy with a little hair on his ass. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, he comes in, and like I said, it was good for me because I'd known him for so long. And uh, Billy, uh, he went out and he, he, he found some gems. I mean, Matt Stairs was a nobody, and Matt ended up playing 12, 13 years in the big leagues, and he had maybe a year and a half, two years before he came to us. So a lot of guys like that where he could find for certain years knowing their prime was coming, a Geronimo Barroa, who all of a sudden hits 30 home runs or so. And he plays for a couple, three years. You see him start to slip, and he gets something for him. So Billy was always had his eye open, was never afraid to trade anybody and go against the grain of baseball. Yeah. Oh, and you got Giambi winning an MVP. You got Tejada winning an MVP. And some near misses that were tough, but some great times uh, as we turned over from 2000 and beyond. And 2006 was a lot of fun. Then another lull. But the great thing about the A's is they're never bad for long. You know, we've seen the Pittsburgh Pirates be under 500 for 20 years. We've seen some teams, like we're looking at what the Orioles are about to go through right now, where they're historic bad. And then we just a total revitalization of the, of the franchise again in 2012. We went to Japan, and that team that you saw in Japan – is not the team you saw in the postseason. But 2012 really, as I like to say, Stella got her groove back. And 2012, 13, and 14 were a lot of fun. They were. You know, and that, that's another thing. I mean, you talked about the 70s and in the 80s and in the late 80s and 90s. Most of that time. And you forget uh, Hudson, Mulder, Zito, all those guys were all homegrown. Now we go back into 2012 and we've got some homegrown guys too. It's a product of the system. You have to feed a better ball club through your system and then just fill in the spots. We're not a big one to go out and spend big money on free agent pitching. 
And a lot of clubs have done that, and they failed because they hurt their payroll by spending that much money. But that 2012 club, that was fun. We had fun in Japan. It was kind of them coming together. Um, I can't remember who a couple of the rookies were then, but um, it, it was as fine a job as Billy Bean had ever done, putting that club together. Um, so uh, fans should embrace that. Uh, I see the same thing happening now. Yep, and we're back at it again. And another after winning 97 games last year, trying to get in the postseason once again. So for all your years being here, what is the best part about your job? I would say not every day is the same. Every day is different. And it can be from a package of goodies arriving to a player having a terrible attitude and we can laugh about it, or a player going out of his way doing something for a fan. Uh, I mean, I encompass the whole thing. i got a lot of fans that know me here, and I appreciate them. They do a great job in recognizing me, and I'm only a sock and jock man. No, you're much more than that. I mean, you are, you know, when I think of of you in this franchise, I mean, when it's all said and done, if there's anybody that could write a complete book about the history of the Oakland Athletics, it's you. And it has to be an honor that you've had this. You've worked for the same employer for all these years since you were 15 years old most people will never have that oh no chance I mean, we were talking about it the other day and somebody said mostly never heard of anybody working was 44 years and he says we came out of high school and he worked till he was 62 44 years and I said, well i got 10 on him <laughs> but, but uh, uh yeah i have um i've probably forgotten more than i could put down in a, a book i think i'm going to start talking in the tape recorder once i remember certain stories and certain happenings but you know what the book is okay there have been enough books written about the different dynasties we've had in Oakland but uh for me to make a book really sell that'd probably be upsetting a lot of people yeah well <laughs> yeah it's that 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 old phrase you know where the bodies have been buried exactly right bodies and ashes I buried ashes over here in 1979 from a big ace fan out of Alameda we had to sneak in here about midnight make sure that the night watchman they only had one cop on at the time was over in the arena dig a hole and drop these ashes down there uh, I haven't told that story too many times but you were the first to, to know that well you've always been very good to me and I've always really appreciated that and, and you know I think one of the reasons why I came to work for the A's full-time is that you know is it always the easiest place to work no but even when I wasn't an A's employee, I always felt like people treated me like family around here. And it's one of the reasons why I made the switch over here. I just wouldn't make it for any franchise. It was this franchise. It was a, it was very special to come on board, and you've always been good to me, and I've always appreciated it. Hey, just an ordinary person, given an extraordinary opportunity. That's my line. Green and gold history with Steve Vucinich, the longest employee in A's history, Oakland A's history. Thank you so much, and uh, – I'll have to go through your daughter again to book you again before the end of the season. Maybe we'll do something for the playoffs. It's not that tough, big boy. You are the best. You know, hey, you have any Goose Gossage stories? Because he's coming up next. Really? You got yeah. Goose coming? Um, no, I, I've got some fun Goose Gossage stories. We had a great time in his retirement weekend in Cripple Creek, Colorado. We took a bus up to Cripple Creek. so much. All right. Give my best to Goose. He's a very special man and a huge part of A's history. Steve Vucinich, what a class act. You've been listening to Green and Gold History right here on A's Cast. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.